Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us online, also, glad you could be with us. Hey, we're going to celebrate communion this Sunday. So if you're here and you haven't got one of these little element things, it's got a wafer and juice. They're on the back tables back here. If you're online, we'd love to have you um, join with us. That would mean you're getting your elements right now, whether it be bread or juice or whatever you're doing. But um, yeah, thank, thank you for joining us this morning. I swam in high school. Uh, my first three years, we lived in a suburb of Chicago. And our sister school was the dominant school in state. They had won state 10 years in a row, I think. Uh, in this particular year, it would have been my sophomore year, our school was hosting the state meet, so they wanted to come over and practice the week before the meet. And so I thought it would be just a fun time to watch these guys who were high school All-Americans, um, All-State. Um, they had had, this was 76, they had had two guys win gold medals in the 72 Olympics, one in the 68 Olympics. So this was a a powerhouse. And I, I mean, these were names that I knew and I thought I, I would never be able to compete with them. But it was interesting for, for me to watch them interact with the coach. The coach just said, you know, that we're on Tuesday, state meets Saturday, we're, we're tapering and, and this is what we'll do. And, and there were no questions asked. It was just kind of like, coach says it, we'll do it. Well, why was that? This coach had a track record of getting people to where they wanted to be. So they were just no questions. Coach says it, we're in. Well, I want to suggest to you that's just a, uh, a foreshadowing or a picture of how much more uh, submitting to God would be for us. As we submit to Him, or the degree we, to, we do submit to Him, I would suggest that He gets us to where we want to be. He gets us to be the people we want to be. And I want to think about that together this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, we're going to go through these six verses asking this question, how will living under God's rule, God's direction, get us to where we want to be? Uh, how will living under God's rule, right, under His direction, get us to where we want to be? So as you're turning there, uh, let me just give a quick overview. We've been, uh, we took four weeks off of, for Advent, and so we're getting back in the Sermon on Mount. We'll finish it in these four weeks, next four weeks. But it starts, uh, recorded in Matthew 5, Jesus is on a hillside, and he sits down, and people gather around him, and he starts to talk about his kingdom. We understand his kingdom is his rule, and we experience that in part because people have the choice to submit to him. We willingly submit to Jesus, and, and his values, his priorities flesh out in our life, and, and, and those are given in the Beatitudes. Now, we know there's a second day coming, a second return coming, when God, Jesus, will set up his kingdom on earth, and there'll be no kind of voluntary thing. It will be, you will be submitted to the rule of God, having trusted him in faith, or, or you will be removed in judgment from the presence of God. But as now, we're now living in, in the in part experience that we, we experience it in part as a people because we can voluntarily submit. Jesus starts in Matthew 5 by listing out a bunch of beatitudes. And these are the kind of people that are approved in the kingdom of God. They're, they're poor in spirit. That's the first one. And I'm not going to get them all, but they're merciful. They hunger and thirst not for comfort or fame, but they hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus lists out 
some characteristics of the people uh, that people will have as they follow him. But then he says uh, in verses 9 through 12 of Matthew, just, just know if you take on those priorities, those values, you will be out of step with the world and you will be persecuted. Because you're different, you will be persecuted. You think, well, if I'm going to be persecuted, why not beam me out? Why not get me out? Well, Jesus answered that question in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. He says, because church, corporately and individually, you are the salt of the earth. And you need to understand that in Jesus' day, salt was a preservative. You rub it into meat and it slowed decay. Church, individually, corporately, you're involved. You're connected with the, the world and your presence is slowing decay. He also said you're a light. We understand darkness is everything evil, everything despairing in the Bible. And when you turn a light on, darkness goes away. Jesus said, in fact, I'm the light of the world. He said, church, you too are the light. And, and, and let your light shine. Put it in a place where it will dispel the maximum amount of darkness. At this point, we think, well, man, Jesus, you're, you're, I mean, you're teaching with someone with authority here, like you're in charge, large and in charge. Are you doing away with the Old Testament? Well, Jesus anticipates that in Matthew 5, 17 20. He says, no, I, I'm not. In fact, uh, I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I'm not doing away with it. I'm fulfilling it. The whole Old Testament points to me. And then he goes on to, to make that case uh, in, in six examples where he either applies or, or deepens or, or corrects a teaching. In the first one, he takes the sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit murder. And he said, I, I'm going I'm to broaden that. Um, you think, well, I haven't taken somebody's life, so I'm good on that. And Jesus said, no, you're really not. If you're angry with someone, it's as if you wish they weren't there, you're guilty of murder. Well, I haven't killed anybody, but you've been angry? Yeah, you, you're guilty. What? Murder. Then he takes the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I've never been with another woman besides my wife, so I'm good. She said, no, 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 no. If you've longed for someone in your heart, you're guilty. Then along, along that line, he talks about uh, divorce. It had become very easy in his day, divorce, because God had allowed for divorce, but it was never his desire. So he upholds the value of marriage and says, don't walk out of this so quickly. And then he speaks specifically to the Pharisees. The Pharisees had taken the Old Testament and they'd added 640 precepts and in their manipulation, they had a deal like, I give you my word, but I swear by the altar and that means I'm 60% responsible for completing. But if I swear by the gold on the altar, it's 80% and they're playing these word games. And Jesus said, just stop, just stop. Let your yes be yes and no be no. Stop with the games. And then he talked about our right to retribution because Moses said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to change that. I'm going to deepen that. You follow me. You live in my kingdom. You give up the right to equal retribution. Somebody slaps you on the cheek, you pop them one. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus said. You turn the other cheek. You are giving up the right to equal retribution. Finally, Jesus said, you know, it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I say, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I guess in Jesus' day it had been okay to hate because they had Roman occupiers and from that, you, know, you hate one person, you have the right to hate anybody. So Jesus says, uh, stop, stop, stop. Not in my kingdom. You love those, your enemies, and you pray for those who persecute you. Well, with having laid out these, king, uh, these values in the kingdom, it would be very easy to live to impress one another. If we're all part of the kingdom, let me show you my righteousness. So Jesus takes that on. He says, when you give to the poor, when you pray, and when you fast, don't do your business so people can see you. 
Hey, do you see I'm praying? I'm, I'm really hungry. I've been fasting. Hey, hey, no, no, no. Jesus said, you've got your reward. And, and in fact, you're a hypocrite. You, you pretend like you're living to please God, but in reality, you're, you're living for the approval of people. Stop with that. When you do those things, go in a place where you're set apart, where God knows because you're seeking to serve him. And even when you do it in public, make sure your heart is right that you want to please him. And he continued that, kind of this idea of living for him. He says, in fact, let, let your, the whole focus of your life be living for that which is eternal, even to the point where you trust God with your food and clothes and you seek his kingdom. And that brings us to chapter 7, and it would be very easy, having laid out two chapters worth of norms for the kingdom, that we would say, let me, let me, let me, look, at your, let me look at your life in, in relation to these things, and let me tell you how, how you think you're doing. And, and, and Jesus said, let, let's talk about that in verse 1. He says, uh, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Now let me put this in the context of the Bible. This verse does not mean we are to stop evaluating and considering right from wrong and evil from and what is of God and what is not. Because in verse 15, Jesus will say, watch out for false prophets. That means we've got to be discerning. In his letter to the number of churches he planted, the apostle Paul warned people to be discerning against false prophets. He warned them to correct those who are in sin. So this is not putting away our judgment totally. John, the same thing. He warned about the Antichrist. We need to be discerning. So this isn't a carte blanche. Never evaluate. No, no, we're, we're to do that. But it, it does speak to our heart, our attitude. For he says in verse 2, For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. No, this is a warning against a critical, judgmental heart. I come into the church, and what I'm looking to do is find fault with you. And, and let me tell you, I've, I've got a whole list, and, it, and Jesus says, be careful. Because if judgment is your default mode, God will judge you in the same way. See, we get these kingdom norms, and we get these kingdom priorities, and we think it's our business to evaluate all these other people. So when I was in seminary, I took uh, preaching classes, and, and they give you some, some ideas, some, some kind of principles, make sure you have a, a good hook and a, a clear big idea, and, and, and these, these things. So you know what I did with those principles early on in my seminary career? I used them to do what? Judge other sermons. So we'd be coming from church, or we'd hear something on the radio, and I'd say, Hope, did you hear this, this? And I'd say, she'd kind of roll her eyes. And then I kind of finally realized, Spirit of God said, you know, Andy, I didn't give you those principles to judge other preachers. I gave you those principles in the hope you'd apply them to yourself, that you might improve as a preacher. So don't be taking this stuff and, and foisting it on other people. Take a look at your heart. Where are you in these things. So, as we judge our brothers and sisters, critically, harshly, immediately, with an attitude, so God will judge us. So here's what this verse, these verses, at least these two verses are saying. We do not need to appoint ourselves as the kingdom 
police. Okay, God's got his kingdom and he's got these norms and stuff. He doesn't need me and you policing others. I saw you, I saw you, I saw you. We don't, we don't, need, we don't, we don't need kingdom police. We need people who are gracious as God has been gracious with us. Why are we overly judgmental? I'd say a couple reasons. One, the very first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit. And we've talked about that as, as people who know we got nothing coming to God. We got nothing. We're coming not on our merit, but on, on grace alone. And, and you know, if we internalize this, we're, we're poor in spirit and, and, and we're, we're desperate for grace. And the only reason we're accepted by God is his grace. When we see other people fail, my, my suggestion is we'll be a lot more gracious with them. When you understand how much God has forgiven you, when you understand how much God has overlooked with me, I, you know, it just, it makes me a little less hard when I see other people. So let me give you an example of that. When I, I didn't get married until I was 33, so I was a single adult for a while, and man, I tell you, I'd be in the grocery store, and I'd see some kid acting up, and I'd think, what, what is wrong with those parents? What is wrong with those parents? Why, I mean, if you just, if you'd be disciplined, you'd be consistent, you'd be, blah, 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 this wouldn't happen. This, this is poor parenting. Well, let me tell you what's happened the last 23 years. We've had two kids. And all of a sudden, I don't judge parents anymore, honestly. So, as, I don't know, maybe it's 18 months, two years ago, I'm in high V at 84th and Holdridge, and I'm there, and, and this poor lady has a little kid that has thrown a holy fit. And you know, 25 years ago, I might have thought, what, what is this, 30 years? I might have thought, what is the deal? But this time I thought, I have no idea. I have no idea what this lady has gone through with her kid. And you know what? I can critique my own parenting. I can question some of the decisions I've made as a parent, let alone other people. So I'm just going to hold back judgment here. What's, what's changed? What's changed is the reality for me of parenting is realize it's, it's a lot harder than I thought and, and I need a lot more grace and I failed and, and, you know, and I'm saying to you, when we engage God in the same way and we understand we are recipients of grace, I would say that turns us around and makes us more gracious with other people. It moves us out of judgment mode. It moves us out of the need to be the kingdom police. Second reason I think we can be judgmental is we don't understand that we're not in a competition with our brothers and sisters. When it comes to being right in God's kingdom, it is not. It is nothing. It's never about our works, our efforts. But we live in a, a, a world that says you compete. And so somehow if I catch you in sin and I see you and I, I feel better about myself. But when I understand, man, what I have from God is grace and grace alone, it makes me less prone to judge and to be quick to judge. Okay, here is one of the big problems we have if we decide to make ourselves the kingdom police and we're going to judge other people. Here we go, verses three to five. Why do you look, Jesus says, at the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? See, we got this big log that's clouding our vision. We're not seeing, I see a little back in yours, but you know, if I would get this log out, maybe it would change my perspective. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, Jesus says. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clarity to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
if we're going to fall into judgment mode, if I'm going to find out what's wrong with you and you, better be careful. Because I can become really blind by this big log in my own eye. And I see that little speck there. So practically speaking, you, you want to, I think this says to us, we need to be people who major in our own sin and minor in other people's sin. Now what I like to do that phrase is take it and just turn it 180 degrees. I will major in your sin and minor in mine. I'm an expert on what you're doing wrong, but I don't think a lot about what I... And God would say, that needs to change. We need to be right with him. We need to be getting the log out of our own eye. We need to be people on major. What are my issues? What are my sin issues? And minoring on others. As we do these things, I would suggest to you that we would step back from being the kingdom place. Not that we stop evaluating, not that we stop thinking, but our default mode is not judgment mode. Our default mode is not critical mode. How does living under God's rule get us to where we want to be? Here's one way I'd suggest it does. It softens and even reduces our criticism of others. The closer we draw to Jesus, the more we understand how desperately we need grace, that'll soften. It'll reduce our criticism of others. Again, we're not talking about we quit discerning. We're not talking about we quit evaluating. But it is talking about defaulting to judgment mode. Defaulting to critical mode. Making it our job to assess others in relation to the kingdom. That's not our default mode. We're to major on our issues, our sin issues, and minor on other people's issues. Let me tell you where I see uh, our, our unwillingness to embrace this, the major on my own and minor on others um, in, in pastoral ministry. I don't do a lot of marriage counseling. I do a little. And, and this one thing that I ask may, may be one of the reasons I don't do much marriage counseling. So somebody will come to me and they will say, Andy, let me tell you about my husband. Andy, let me tell you about my wife. So I listen, 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 listen. I hear all about the husband. I hear all about the wife. And wow, that, that's hard. And I said, let me, because let me, let me ask you just a, a question for you to reflect on. What would you say your part is in this conflict? Can I tell you what kind of answer I get? A silent stare is what I get. How dare you, pastor, ask me about my part? Didn't you just hear what I said about my husband? Didn't you just hear what I said about my wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I heard that, but I, I've been married now 27 years, 27, I, and I've been in friendships, relationships. I've, I've done it, and I know there's always two parts. I, I've heard about your spouse's part. What about yours? Well, let me tell you about my husband. No, 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 no. I, I, I heard about your husband. I heard about your wife. But we love to major in other people's sin. 
and minor or ignore our own. We're not to quit discerning. We're not to quit evaluating. But let's start in-house with our issues that we might get the log out so we're not diluted by the speck we see. Now, lest we think Jesus is suggesting we don't evaluate, we don't consider others, let's look at verse 6. <clears throat> Do not give what is holy to dogs. Now, let me be clear. This is not the word for your little pet Fifi or Spot. This is for a mangy, grungy dog that is scavenging around, okay? And do not throw your pearls before swine. So, so Jesus is metaphorically comparing people to dogs and swine. So he's making an evaluation here. What's this about? Or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What, what is he talking about here? I, I think the key is in pearls. Again, Jesus is using a metaphor here. Pearls is often a metaphor for the kingdom of God. And we are called. Remember, Jesus called us to be salt and light. We heard that? Preservative, light. I mean, we're to be out there manifesting and sharing Christ. But Jesus knows there are people who are arrogant. They are ridiculing the gospel. They are mocking the idea of God, and they are letting that be known. If and when we encounter such people, Jesus is saying, be careful. Be guarded about sharing something of value like the gospel with them because they have already shown they're not receptive towards it and they tear you and it apart. Now, please note, Jesus is not talking about outward appearance here. He's talking about the condition of the heart. Because someone is not well-dressed or well-dressed, that's, that's not what Jesus is not calling us to make an evaluation there. He's calling us to make an evaluation of the heart. What is your attitude towards God? And the scripture says there are certain people who have made up their mind they are rejecting God. And Romans tells us at some point Jesus steps back from those people and said, okay, you live your choices. So we are to be intentional about being a preservative. We are to be intentional about being a light. But we live this tension as we do that. Jesus said, be careful. In giving something of value like the gospel to people who have already showed a hardness of heart to it, an unwillingness to consider God. Often when I was in campus ministry, we would begin an intellectual discussion about the gospel and creation and stuff. And I said, let, let, me, let me stop for just for a second. Uh, I have irrefutable proof. This is hypothetical. I'd say my irrefutable proof. I have a temple, uh, a video of Jesus coming from the tomb, and I have a, a notarized statement from God saying that the Bible is his word. Will you submit yourself to Jesus as he's revealed in the Bible? And I said, arguably, I agreeably, this is, this is hypothetical. But if, if that hypothetical were true and, and you had all the evidence, would you submit yourself to Christ? And, and most of the time, the student would say no. So I said, then you do not have an intellectual problem. Do you have a volitional problem? I can't give you enough evidence. So I'm not going to go on sharing the gospel with somebody who's, you know, if you ever want to talk, I'm here. But yeah, if, you, if you're hard to it, okay. Jesus said, be be discerning about that. So, we're to be people who evaluate. We're to be people who discern. But we're not to be the resident critic. We're not to find comfort in critiquing others. And when we see 
sin. I mean, Paul says you gently restore the person. We're remember that we are recipients of grace. The only reason we are in the kingdom of God is the grace of God. We are liberal in extending grace to others. As we follow Jesus, it softens and reduces our criticism of others. As I mentioned, I uh, have mentioned in the past, I worked for, for 15 years out of uh, graduate school. I worked for ministry, Campus Crusade, now known as Crew. And what's significant here is we would go to um, different conferences, and um, one of the frequent speakers we had was a, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary named Dr. Howard Hendricks. He passed away a couple of years ago. But I, I got to hear him speak on multiple occasions in multiple places. And he was a, a Bible teacher par excellence. But, you know, of all the times I heard him, you know, you know what I remember most from Dr. Hendricks? It was an aside comment he made. Now, I would guess he was probably 40 to 45 years older than me. So I was hearing him at 25 to 28 years old. So I would put him in the 65 to 70-year-old range as he was speaking. He made this aside. He said, at my age, I find that people are either very bitter or very sweet. Because at my age, they have had a lifetime of the choice to follow God or not to play out over a number of years. And so he says, somewhere in the teens or young adults, somebody chooses to follow God or not, and they go on very different paths. And by the time you get to 60 or 70 years old, those paths have gone in two very different directions. So here's the question I want to ask you. Let's roll ahead someday to your funeral or my funeral. As people are eulogizing you, what do you want them to say? Man, he was sharp. He could lower the boom. He didn't give any kind of grace. Or, he was gracious, he was kind. See, I, I don't know, I officiate three to five funerals a year. I've been doing this for 20 plus years, so yeah, I, I, I've done a few. I don't remember anybody celebrating somebody who was a critic. Somebody who was, I don't remember those are characteristics that that people value. I think it's when it's all said and done, we'd like to be known as gracious, kind people. Yeah, we judged, but we were slow to do it. And we were gracious and kind. See, I th think following Jesus will get us to where we want to be, to be the kind of people we want to be. How will submitting to God's rule get us where we want to be? Submitting to God's rule will soften and even reduce our criticism of others.